Let's turn our Bibles to Hebrews 11. Um, so quick recap. What, what are our two phrases for Hebrews? Number one, uh, that's, that's the second one. What's the first one? Jesus is better. Thank you, sir. Yeah, that's right. Mommy's better. All right. Um, right. Those are our two phrases. Jesus is better. And as a result of Jesus being better, you don't look back. Um, and our, our, um, our author of Hebrews is taking us, or taking his audience uh, of Jewish Christians in the uh, first or second century uh, AD, and he is going through and he is systematically explaining, okay, Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the priesthood. Jesus is better than the, the instruments that the priesthood used. Jesus is better than the place that, where the, the, uh, the priest served. Jesus is better than the law, right? It, step by step by step, he's taking us uh, through each of the Old Testament institutions, and he's explaining Jesus is better than those. Um, so don't look back. Don't, don't go back to what you were. Stay, at where, you're, stay where you are. Be, be faithful. Be steadfast. Um, and he, he reaches a crescendo, or like the top of his argument in chapter 11, uh, which many of you will be familiar with. Uh, some people call it the Old Testament Hall of Fame or the Faith Hall of Fame. We're going to read it, um, and we'll just read all of chapter um, all of chapter 11. Well, let, let's go through it and unpack it as we go along. I'm sorry. So a couple things uh, before I get into that. Uh, I read uh, a book a couple weeks ago that I think is, is pretty useful. Um, it's also like 100 pages long, so it's really short. I think it'd be helpful uh, if, you know, if you're looking for something to read uh, that will enhance your faith. It's called Human Rights, uh, R-I-T-E-S, Human Rights, right? So it's a pun, uh, by Drew, uh, D-R-U, Johnson, spelled the normal way. Uh, and uh, Dr. Johnson is a... a He's a professor at King's College in New York, um, has a really interesting background. He was uh, uh, in the army. Uh, at one point, he was a skinhead, uh, like a real, like, I, I hate everybody skinhead. Um, he's an expert in Hebrew uh, and in Greek, uh, and he runs a, 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 like a center at uh, King's College called the, the Center for Hebraic Thought. So they study Jewish thought uh, during this time period uh, and try to apply it to the Bible. And uh, he's written a couple books. One of them uh, I had to read for school. It was uh, Scripture's Knowing, it's called. Uh, and it was his argument or his idea was the Bible is basically about people learning. Uh, it's illustrations of people learning about God in different ways or receiving information about God in different ways and coming to know who he is through that. And it was very interesting. Um, and it, it's kind of, if you read through, the, through Hebrews, right? Th think about the, the start of the argument. It's God made himself known to us, right, in the beginning, right, from in the Old Testament, through all these different ways. But in these latter days, he's revealed himself in the person of his son, right? That's, that's the whole argument. Um, but this book, Human Rights, uh, is about um, the... It's an exploration of like rituals and things that we things that we do where we have a ritual, um, and he, he goes back and he connects it to the Old Testament. He says, right, God's very explicit. Like in Isaiah, he's like, look, your sacrifices are not 
like I don't eat these or use the bones or I, I, I don't, that's not the point, uh, which causes you to ask, well, what is the point? Uh, why did God command them to give these sacrifices, these various kinds of sacrifices? Why did he tell them uh, to, to do different ritualistic things, right? If, if what God really wants is relationship. Um, and his answer is, um, in the same, and he uses this analogy, he was in the army. Uh, and uh, the first thing they did when he uh, entered the army, for those of you who've been in the, the military services, you know, one of the very first things they have you do is learn how to uh, completely disassemble uh, completely disassemble your weapon and then reassemble it. Um, so that if anything's ever wrong with your weapon, you, can, it, it, you won't have to think about what's wrong. You can completely disassemble the thing and then reassemble it. Um, and he talks about doing that until his hands were, <laughs> his hands were bleeding. And he was like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. He, he, he says, uh, people think of religion uh, or uh, Christianity as being ritualistic. He's like, they got nothing on the army. He's like, I'd, I'd, get, I'd get hauled out of bed at two in the morning uh, while a sergeant uh, stood over me and yelled in, yelled in my face while I tried to assemble this, uh, this weapon with sleep in my eyes and didn't know where I was. Uh, and then he talks about, but, but when I was deployed, my, my weapon malfunctioned and I didn't even have to think. I just, I just fixed it immediately, like just through muscle memory. And it wasn't something I even had to think about. And his contention is that the, the rituals and the, the Old Testament laws that the Hebrews practiced, uh, God uses the phrase, um, I, I called you to be a kingdom of priests, right? He, he's shaping them through these rituals in the, into the kind of people who are ready to see and recognize and accept who Jesus is. And it worked because some of them did. <laughs> right? When he got, some of them were like, oh, that's what it meant. That's what it meant. Um, he, so think about the sacrifice of an animal, for instance, which seems barbaric to us, but was basically a barbecue to them. Um, you're bringing something that is meaningful to you, right? As an animal you raised in your own house. And it's probably the most expensive thing you own beside your clothes. And you bring it and what you're saying is, I'm relying on you, God, to replace this and to bless me. I don't, I, I don't know where the next, I don't know, um, maybe there won't be another lamb, right? Um, I'm depending on you, right? It, it puts you in a posture of reliance on God. And the symbols prepared them to understand who Jesus was when he arrived. I just thought that was a really profound insight. And it's, it's useful here, right? Because our author in Hebrews is saying, no, you got it right. Like you, you, you recognized and saw who Jesus was and you accepted him. You, you know who he is. Don't turn back. Don't go back to what you were. Those were just shadows and copies. You go, stay with the real thing. So, um, okay. Uh, and then... So let's, let's, go, let's wind down uh, Hebrews here by uh, exploring this uh, faith hall of fame beginning in chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, and this is a great verse, right? Now, is the, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders, right, the Old Testament patriarchs, obtained a good report. Through faith 
we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Uh, and that's interesting, right? He's, God didn't construct the world out of existing material. He spoke it into existence from nothing. That's important to the author of Hebrews because it doesn't happen in everyday life, right? If, if I came up here and said, where's my Bible? And I said, appear, and my Bible appeared, we would all talk about it for a long time, um, right? I have to get my bag and get it out, right? There's a whole, uh, a whole uh, thing I have to do to make a physical object appear in front of me. Um, Notice that, that in these first three verses, what he's saying is, I'm going to tell you why the people in the Old Testament were people of faith, right? And, and what their faith was aimed at. That's the idea. For by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his, of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward. Right? You have to believe. In order to come to God, you have to believe that he is, that he exists. And that he is a, re a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. So here's where it gets thick with meaning. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the, promise, of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, I want you to notice something that starts here with this account of Sarah. Um, what, what did Sarah do? Um, when, what did Sarah do? She laughed, right? When, when she heard them talking, right? She heard God talking to Abraham and he said, you're going to have, you're going to your, your wife will have children. She laughed and laughed. That's what Isaac, uh, Isaac's name means. She laughed. Um, it, right. It, she, she didn't believe Right? So, so the, the, the author of, of Hebrews is starting to say she was a person of faith, even though she wasn't perfect. Even though she wasn't perfect. Right? At some point, she was like, I guess this is going to happen. Um, let's continue. That's, that's true. Right? It's, yes, that's right. It's saying, and we're getting there. Hang on. This is going to get good. Um, Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and, and embraced them, and confessed, them or, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they uh, that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. 
And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. So, a couple things here. One, I, uh, I'm always, when I read these verses, reminded of a passage uh, written by C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. Uh, he says, if, if you find that your heart is restless and that you cannot find a home anywhere that you go, maybe it's because there's a home that you can't find yet, right? Maybe you're destined for, for better things. Think on that, uh, and, right? So th- these were people who um, got a taste of what God was offering, right? And they believed, right? They, they said, there's no abiding city here. There's no place that we can call home truly. We are refugees from one place to another, but we believe that because God said he would provide a home, he will. I, I can't really communicate to you in, in uh, words that you or I would understand what this would have me- meant to a Jewish person. Um, I go read Psalm 137 sometime. Uh, it's the one where they, uh, they, the Babylonians have, have taken them. Is it 139? The Babylonians have taken them, uh, and they, it, it begins... Uh, by the waters of, oh, hang on, let me look, instead of just, Richard usually puts it up there because he knows the one I'm talking about, yeah, 137, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion, so this is a whole people who've been taken captive and carried out of their country into a distant place, uh, and they're by the waters of Babylon, this is basically a, a reservation or a concentration camp where they're being kept. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Sing us a song, they say, from where you come from. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy, right? This longing for home. They just want to go home. That's, that's where they can worship God correctly. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem who said, uh, raise it, raise it or burn it, burn it, even to the foundations thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. So obviously this deep longing and sorrow, right? And this idea, we want to go home. So this, this concept that the author of Hebrews is taking them through, right? He says, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all, these, all of your forefathers, they were looking for a place. They were looking for a place. And you're looking for a place. You were dispersed in that same captivity as the, the um, Jews that, that wrote Psalm 137. You spread to the, the four corners of the earth, and then you returned. But you're still looking for home, right? Home is a concept that they would have understood um, and longed for. Okay, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac... 
And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Catch this. Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Now we're not going to go back and read the whole account of the binding of Isaac, but nowhere in it does it say, right, Abraham, it's very flat. Right? It doesn't talk about Abraham's emotional state. Uh, God appears to him and says, you need to take your son up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there. And it just says they, he's like, right? The, the, we want the scene where Abraham's at the dinner table and he's watching Isaac play ball outside and he puts his hand in his head, you know, and we, we want him to, we want characters that have emotional and like talk about their feelings, right? Or that they're described. It doesn't do any of that. It just, Abraham goes with him. They, they, they ride three days. It doesn't say what they talked about. Like, how would you talk to your son on the, on the way to the, this place where you know you're going to kill him, right? You have to sacrifice him. But the author of Hebrews tells us what he thought. Right? It says, Abraham didn't know, right? All he knows is God told him, you're going to have descendants that number like the stars, uh, and like, like the sand on the seashore. And, and it won't be accomplished through anything you do. It will be accomplished through Isaac. Right? Isaac, is, he's the conduit through which all these... So Isaac doesn't have any children at this point. And Abraham just figures. Right? He believes in God enough and believes what he was told enough that he says, I, I guess I'll get up there and I'll stab him. I'll sacrifice him and God will raise him from the dead. We don't have any account in Genesis before that of, any, of God ever raising anybody from the dead. Well, how did that even get into his head that that could happen? It, it, yeah, it came because he experienced the presence of God and said, I, I understand that God has good for me, that he has promised this thing, and, if, and he who promised is faithful. So let's go on. Um... By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Right, so he was, he was looking for something greater. Um, and notice, like, you go back and read the account, Moses is an angry guy. Like, he got angry and killed the Egyptian. He he chose to suffer affliction with his people, not because he made some noble sacrifice, but because he acted in the heat of the moment and killed somebody. Um, through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Um, so notice, it, the people are getting worse and worse. 
right? Like it's, it's becoming less and less true that, like you start with Abel and you're like, oh yeah, Abel was a good guy. Like oh, he sacrificed correctly and his brother killed him. There's nothing bad to say about him. Um, and now we're, we're delving down into people that you would find less and less morally upright. But they were all people of faith. They were all people of faith. And, and then it gets even worse. Hang on. 32. And what more shall I, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. So uh, unpack that because most of these are people are from Judges, my favorite book. Right? Gideon was indeed a man of faith, but then betrayed that faith by creating an idol that all of, all of Israel worshipped and taking for himself 70 wives. He died. All of his sons were killed by one of his sons. Um, Samson is a violent sex addict, right? That's, it's, he's the worst judge in Judges. The, the, he's the worst. He's probably the worst character in the Old Testament in some ways. Um, I, I think it's funny when we have the flannel graph with Samson. I'm like, there'd be like an X-rated flannel graph if you, if you were to tell it true, right? It's, he's a, not a nice man. Uh, he was a violent sex addict. Jephthah. Uh, sacrificed his own daughter, right? He made this stupid, rash vow to God. He said, if you give me victory, uh, I'll sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my door. And the first thing that comes out of his door is his daughter. So these, are, these people are dumb, <laughs> a lot of them. Uh, and not, not laudable people that we, whose example we should follow. But, but the point the author of Hebrews is making is that in every case, the good that they did in their life emerged from a moment of faith. It emerged from a time when they trusted the promise and proceeded to believe that it was true. Uh, And then he goes on, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockery, or cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. So these are all things that happened to the prophets. These are all things that, that people who, and not just in the Old Testament, but also during the intertestamental period, these are things that happened to people who, who were faithful to God. It says, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Right? That they were aimed at one thing, realizing the promise that came in the form of Jesus Christ. So, uh, let's go to chapter 12. Sorry. So this is his last, uh, the last section where the author of Hebrews uh, tells us to endure, right? This is the last place where he says, don't look back. And he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. He says, there's this huge, like 
like these Old Testament saints, right? we, we are surrounded by them. They, they are watching us run our race. Right? The, a, a cloud of witnesses is watching us. Um, and they're rooting for us. They want us to finish our, uh, to, to finish our faithful journey. Um, and he uses this metaphor of a race. I don't know how many people have run like a 5K or a... Yeah. So um, uh, the, my friend David, David right there, and I have run uh, a, f- a few marathons. Um, and inevitably, at like the beginning of the race, you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and you feel awesome. Right? Like, yeah, you feel like, uh, like mile one through 13, you feel like you could run forever. Um, and you get to mile 24 or 25, and all the, all the clapping seems ironic. Like, you know, and the crowds thin out, and you don't, you don't feel, uh, you feel less like you can carry on. And a lot of walking at mile 25. But we are surrounded in our, faith, in our faith journey by a great cloud of witnesses, all of whom attest to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the universe. Don't look back. Right? That's the idea. Don't stop running now. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh, which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Right? The idea here is, yes, it's hard. Yes, you feel that you're being punished. Yes, it's difficult. But you're being treated as a son, right? You're being treated as, you're being disciplined and shaped into something through your faith. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons, right? He wouldn't care about you if you were illegitimate. He cares about you because you're a true son. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasteneth us, blah, 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 chasten to us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. He's saying that this present time is hard. It is hard to remain faithful, and it is easier to turn back. It's easier to go back to what you were. But the suffering and the, the, the chastising that you are dealing with now will spring up in you a crop of righteousness that you cannot believe, right? because you will have held true to who and what Jesus Christ is. The chastisement, like the Old Testament, is designed to make you a person receptive to Christ's example. Uh, and I, I think it's kind of funny, my, uh, the gym I go to uh, has this verse 
now no chastening or no discipline for the present, seemeth to be joyous, uh, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. I thought that was funny. Um, I've, I've never felt more righteous coming out of the gym. Uh, I've, I've often felt tired uh, and a little angry, but never, never, ever, ever more righteous. 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail uh, of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears." Um, so we're going to, we're not going to stop there. We're going to go to, the next passage is a warning passage that we're going to cover next week. Um, and so we are going to skip to chapter 13. And I'll just read it all because I don't have a lot to unpack. Um, Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, Considering the end of their, con- their conversation, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, right? So he just lays down some things that will help you to not turn back, right? To remain faithful and focused on Christ. He says, entertain strangers, let brotherly love continue, um, remember the suffering of others and try to alleviate it, get married, <laughs> um, don't engage in sexual sin. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with what you have. Um, Verse 9, Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar, whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the blood with his own blood, suffered without the gate. You know what? That's complicated. I'm going to talk about that next week. Um, I don't think I have time. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, 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 that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Ah, almost there. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience, we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. But I beseech you, the rather to, to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, 
make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in a few words. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he come shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you, and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. 